Constructed Criticism is sponsored by Oasis Games. MTGOasis.com is the place to get cards for your next Magic event. Try them out with code CCMTG for 15% off of your first order, and use the code WouldThatBeGood for 4% off of every order. Want to support the show directly? Head on over to Patreon.com CCMTG to check out some awesome benefits and future goals for the show. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at purentgeo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 408th episode of Constructed Chrism. I am your tea-drinking host, Mason, joined by my water-chugging co-host, Abe, and my Monster Energy fanatic co-host, Spencer. How y'all doing? I literally don't remember the last time I had a Monster Energy drink. In fact, I think it might have been 2012 when... Uh, I asked for caffeine. Rockstar. Hold on, we gotta, we gotta be. Let me finish my story. Rude. Uh, I said the wrong words. And uh, I was like, I need some caffeine. And Quentin Pierce, former coach of the show, brings me a Monster Energy drink. And I'm gonna just tell you guys what I think of Monster. It tastes like a nine volt. (laughs) That is straight up what it tastes like to me. It is just literally licking that battery so So many that response gives me so many more questions that like that he's 11 how do you know what a nine volt tastes like uh i mean i licked a lot of them as a kid because we thought it was funny okay how is that taste something you can taste on a constant basis while you're drinking something Uh, you go lick one and then you drink a monster energy drink and you will understand well, I've had a Monster Energy drink, so I apparently don't need to lick any 9 It's bat. just the exact same flavor. It tastes like your mouth is getting electrocuted. It's gross. I am a zero-calorie orange and lemonade Rockstar recovery guy, but thank you, Mason. I love water. So, Mason, you nailed it. On also, this is, this is water. Wow. What an excursion. I said the wrong word. Sounds like I know you drink orange Rockstar all the time. Oh, that's <laughs> like, this one. Yeah. That's right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it's all about modern today on this week's episode of Chrism. We're going to do all talk about modern. We're going to break it down. We had a bunch of results this weekend. We're going to go over those. But first, we're going to do always improving because that is the main point of the show. And Spencer, you're up first this week. So what is your always improving moment? Yeah, I had a couple, but I'm going to focus on a specific one. I was lucky enough to... Uh, has some pretty good results this week, you know, doing doing well to get some QBs in a couple of leagues as I prepared for a modern single event. Uh, as people know, like I just did well at a team headhunters event, kind of a complicated format where I play Tron at, at the local level. And I also been really focused on standard. Some of the decks that I talked about last week and actually really during the pick two set review were treasure decks, um, mid-range decks, and things like that. I think one of my key cards in the set review was a certain black, white, blue dragon. And my most improving moment is actually pretty interesting. Uh, People who know me know I love to brew in magic. And one of the questions that often gets asked of me, 
was how do you make a successful brew? Like you've qualified for the Pro Tour with a brew. You've had friends qualify for the Pro Tour with your brews. Like how do you do this? And I think the answer probably would upset a lot of people, which is that when somebody is just doing something better in the vein of your idea, you need to accept that and move on to their stuff and improve on that. And this happened a couple of times for for me this week. One of them was with Esper Midrange and Green Red Treasures in standard and i'll go over those two really quickly no matter if you're on the esper planeswalker quote-unquote deck or the esper aggressive mid-range slanted deck in standard i think that that is clearly the best deck in standard and i think that the ways to combat that you know whether it's i think white's the best color in standard right now Uh, i think that that happens when the best card in standard is white right when you look at the wandering emperor i think the second best card in standard is actually probably wedding announcement. I know that that might be a hot take, but that is what I believe is the second best card in standard. I think that from there, you just naturally end up with things like Mardu and Esper and maybe Naya eventually being some of the best decks. So uh, I did a deck tech on Jun midrange this week. Uh, In fact, I was actually in the Discord with Abe. We were actually playing, streaming together. I think you were even playing Esper at the time, Abe. I was talking about how like the Gen Midrange deck that I was playing was doing really well, but I had started losing to the more and more Esper decks that came up. And right then, I actually played against uh, Zan's uh, Green Red deck. And on the call while we were streaming in the Discord, I was like, this is better than everything I'm doing in midrange. I need to switch myself up. I think that's pretty key when you're a deck builder, is just to be like, this person had a better idea than me. That also, for what it's worth, goes into picking decks and formats. While I'm a brewer in things like Standard, right? And in some cases, like Modern. I think that Modern is one of those, like, metagame formats. And for me, this week, I was like, I just want to play the best deck that I think will do well at a local event. Uh, Ended up on Merktide. I think it's the best deck in Modern. I don't think it's close. And... I think that like there are decks that do well at certain spaces of magic. And one of those spaces is in these like local level cash tournaments or like PTQs. And there are decks that will let you leverage your skill up until somebody's better than you. And at that point, they become 50-50 decks. And those decks are the really good decks in magic. So for me it was like, well, I think the two decks that let me do that are four color and Merktide. I don't want to play four color because I don't want to go to time. And so I'm going to play Merktide. And it, it worked out really well. And I think that for a lot of people, they expect me to play Tron because it's a deck that just like, you know, it's a big mana deck. Spencer likes big mana decks. But it was like, I don't really need to do that. I think that you're going to play into my counter spells at bad times. I'm going to play my one drops correctly. And I think that these two moments of improving collide into one specific thing which is like don't force bad stuff and i think that's the always improving moment it's important to like not have any sacred cows am i right hammer time guy there are no sacred cows in hammer mem knight's gone he's out of here. uh people told me i had hammer time too high on my tier list that i posted dave and i was like no still top tier i have so many words, but we can we can save that for the main time. i was say we'll get to it so my always improving moment kind of weirdly works in some Spencer's thing. But basically, I I wanted to, like, play 
a bunch of weird decks this last week. I like played in bed. I was pretty sick. And I ended up brewing a deck that was like this Jess guy, like Blink. I posted on Twitter. It's very weird. It has like seven combos in it. And I was like trying really hard to make it work. And I was trying really hard not to play Ren Six. And then I was just like, I just put Ren Six and Oathness in my deck. My mana is actually playable. I have like way stronger cards and I can like actually play a game. The always one was just like, stop trying so hard all the time and just do the stuff that's good. And it's like a thing I already kind of knew, but it was good to get reinforced. And then I took that same thing and applied it to the uh, Explore Challenge this past weekend on Arena, where well, I'm sure a bunch of you played it. But basically, it was like you pay 2,000 gold, you play, you win a bunch of packs if you do well. And I just did that playing the sacrifice, the various sacrifice decks, a bunch of Rakdos, Sacrifice, Little Jund, and then the Little Adventures for fun. And, you know, it's just like, it's funny because I say, like, you know, do the good stuff or whatever. But, like, in that format, Omnath, today, which I had forgotten about. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm not playing Omnath, no, you know. It, it's funny because, like, <laughs> it feels like, I, I don't I didn't look at the Pioneer results, but people had been talking about that card making comeback in Pioneer because of Explorer. Do you feel like that's going to happen? A little bit. The removal is much worse than Explorer. It is, like, actively very hard to remove an Omnath in a way that I think is true for Pioneer as well, but a little less true, if that makes sense. Like, why, like why, there are a lot of decks in Explorer. Why is it easier Sorry. to remove in Pioneer than something like Winota? Well, uh, I think Rending Valley has a lot to do with it. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah, yeah there, there's just a lot more one-mana answer cards, and they, and they see more play, too, because the threats in that format are things like Thing in the Ice, and Winota, while being a shared threat, uh, you don't have things like Running Golden in place. There are things like Red Cat Melee um, that you can play. Uh, Raven Fieldment is a good one that, like, all the sacrifice decks play that because of your Sharn and like Winota as well. And so there, there, are, there are things like that. My experience with playing Explorer has been a lot of like mass removal and then hate cards for Winota. And so the hate cards for Winota, while they're good against Omnath like, as the adventure deck, it is they don't line up very well anywhere else. If you have Raven Fiedelman, it hits Omnath, but nothing else. If you have Red Cat Melee, you got, you know, Bone Crusher Giant in this, and that's it. You know, and your deck's also like a Lucky Clover deck. And it's just, the formats are very different, despite being the same format. They're kind of like, if you've watched the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's kind of like that. Where it's like, they are the same things, but they are different. This has happened a few times in Magic's history. People have taken x thing from one format and been like wait can we do this in other format while i'm hearing whispers of omnath being unexplored in pioneer i'll be interested to see if that's true because the cross hate is important and so much cross hate is color dependent that it makes omnath a lot worse also aether gust is way better right now in pioneer so, like, it's one of those things, too, where it's, like, the green deck's really good, so there's a lot of Aethergust running around, so... But that's all that, all in that. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that at a different time. No one's been able to play an Omnath on Arena for, like, two years. <laughs> yeah, so it might you also know? be so, overrepresented. They're like, yo, yeah. let's go! Well, I think, I think it's underrepresented. I think people just forgot about Omnath. Maybe even yeah. saying he forgot about it, you know? And, like, I, everyone's playing these sack decks, but when I saw that, uh... I, I know the deck he's talking about is, like, a Lucky Clover... Uh, innkeeper like traditional adventures deck the deck that like broke omnath uro standard like that deck just run that back with the with all the explorer cards that you can yeah that looked like something wow that was something out of uh out of like nightmares past 
What's funny is that no, people. I, oh, I was sorry, just gonna say I, I played it and it was very good, just like it was in standard. Unless your opponent is playing those like spirits or red decks, or like those hyper condensed decks that are part of Pioneer that have some flaws. We're part of Explorer. Sorry, you actually just beat all. The it's so hard to keep a track. I agree, decks. dude. What's What's funny is that the reverse also happened, where people were really expecting Fires of Invention to take over Explorer because of the decrease in cards. But actually what happened is it got more hated out because of the streamlining of things. Fires of Invention is actually somehow better in Pioneer than it is in Explorer. You would expect the reverse, right? And this Explorer deck that's kind of like mid-ish tier, this like Omnath deck, and it's obviously not the one that Mason's talking about, right? Because Mason's talking about like the Adventures version. But I actually think that the other thing is true where like just the card Omnath has boosted itself in Explorer. It's interesting because I think that the two will reflect each other. People will find ways to improve upon the two formats as we go along. Before the like alchemy changes to cards and was it the historic jumpstart, before those happened and really divorced historic from Pioneer, I, we really saw that a lot. Most of the Rakdos, Dreadhorde Arcanist, Young Pyromancer shells those were really, really based on the early historic decks once more of those cards were in the uh, in the format, thanks to Strixhaven. And, and so those two formats have really always been linked, and I'm, I'm very interested to see that go as well. My always improving moments week, if we're going to move on, is uh, getting back to focusing on my like technical play has been a pretty big focus of mine when I'm playing Paper. And this week especially, I played in Modern 2K over the weekend where I was playing Hammer. And Hammer's kind of in a spot, like we'll talk about in the metagame, where it, it, it's got to fight a little uphill right now. And when that's the case, you really can't afford to make mistakes or play lazy. And that's something that I feel like I've been avoiding doing when I play these 2Ks at my local level, is making sure that I'm playing as tight as possible. And I had a lot of moments this weekend where I caught myself internally automatically doing the double check. When you talk about how to like make sure you're playing better, the number one thing is always take that extra two seconds and make sure the play you're making makes sense and you're thinking everything through. Uh, like for example, when I came to my quarterfinals match against Merktide, where I had no serve the split and another little always improving about the the classic Hane, make sure you play out all your matches. No serve the split and played that out, where I needed to like figure out when I was. I had a Cigar to a Hammer, and an Esper Sentinel play against Merktide, and I had to figure out when exactly the best time to cast my Hammer is. If it's now, am I attacking with Esper Sentinel or not? And what defines that? Is my opponent going to going to block with their uh, Ragavan? Are they going to attack with their Ragavan? What am I doing with my turn, based on like every single card in my hand, and what's my plan for multiple turns? And really focusing on that over the course of all of my matches, I really felt like I did a great job of doing that and I was already thinking about the things you usually kick yourself for not double checking on and that was like really where I felt I had I'd been doing my best in a long time so I also think you hit on Merktide's big weakness I mentioned this during my always improving I almost don't want to say this because I'm afraid that people will take it the wrong way Merktide has a high like I'm better than you ceiling but a low skill skill ceiling if that makes sense like it's like as long as i'm better than you i will beat you with this deck but once we're pretty close it's actually really hard to win because you know what my deck is like you know what i'm trying to do 
uh, my answers are within three cards of each other usually because so much of my deck is air. What Abe just said is indicative of a player that understands how to beat Merktide. I think that's really important um, and shows Abe's understanding of both modern, because I think that this is a pillar of modern, and also his understanding of Hammer Time. Let's just get into it, because that is going to be our main topic. We are doing a modern power rankings looking over everything. Historically, the way we've done power rankings is we have gone from the bottom to the top, but we're doing things a little different this time because Mason was in charge and Mason didn't remember the Frank Carson scale. So what I've done is I've listed all the decks that uh, I, I look from the challenge and the showcase uh, from this past weekend, and I've wrote out all the times a deck finished uh, in the top 32, and then I made note of when they finished in a top eight or a top finish, quote unquote. Uh, I think we should probably start with the top decks and we're going to kind of just have a natural conversation and work through everything as we do that. But I do want to kind of say the numbers on those top decks just so we get an idea for like how representative they are. So Merktide across the two events had nine players show up with it. There was some overlap of people in two events uh, with four of them being top when, finishes. When of the you nine. say nine, you mean nine top 32s? Like first top 32, that's when Merktide sure, okay, showed up. Okay. It was nine so nine, nine top the 32s. Two events. Because there were probably was, way more than nine players. Yeah, playing yeah but we can't see all of them. But for finishes that were like in the cast. Sure, sure. Of the winner metagame, it made up 45% of it. Actually, a little more because we didn't get that much in the showcase. You only got top six. Oh, okay. Of its representation, it got 45%. Oh, correct. Okay, yes. sure. Yeah, so there were there were nine people with Merktide uh, that showed up there. And four of those nine finishes were in top eight. Uh, in various places, uh, with the best being second place among the two events. Then we had the Living End have uh, six people show up with it with four top finishes, which is the best conversion rate of any deck we'll talk about today. And then we had five Elementals and two four-color control. Neither of them uh, made the top. These decks get blurred a lot when talked about, so I'm bringing them both up here. But neither of them made top eights? Was... Neither of them made top okay. eights. Uh, one of them got 10th, I think. I, I wrote down the ninth place finishes because ninth place is often a, a breakdown of matchup things. So one of the ninth places was Vivian Combo, which we'll talk about here in a little bit because uh, they played my deck list. And then, well, they took my deck list and changed it. And then Amulet got ninth as well. That's kind of where we're at when it comes to the like top finishes on stuff. But Merktide, Living End, and the four color piles are kind of the defining things of modern. We were just talking about Merktide Regent. Let's kind of wrap up our thoughts and general think about that. Cause I think it is the deck that if you're going to a modern tournament right now, I would say like that is the deck that I would expect you to play against two or three times. Like that is the deck that I, you will see the most of, uh, across the field. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Would you all agree with that? I have an over an 80% win percentage with this deck um, between MTGO and, and paper. And I think that what I'm saying is true. Like I was losing the players that clearly had an understanding of the matchup and then crushing players that did not. And I don't know if that's like, because I think I was saying this in our group chat with some of the former co-hosts with Mason, but like, I'm pretty new to modern. Like I'd say that I'm like 30 matches into Merktide. What did I do? I seven, three to challenge or something. I don't even remember what it was. It's not that big. It was five, three to challenge with Tron and then went undefeated with Tron. Like I have not played this much modern, but I think Merktide is like, both the level zero deck, but also the best deck. The question that it puts on the format is a real question. 
But I also don't think it's the only question that is put on the format. And and you said something really interesting earlier in the show, and that had been the pre-show, Abe, which is that you believe that Hammer Time was good against both Four Color and Murktide. I think it's you bad against that. Four Color and really good against Murktide. Oh man, I actually think it's bad against Murktide. So I'm really interested in your perspective there. The arena of ideas begin. No, no, no. I, I just, I have not lost to it yet, but it's only like, I'm only like 3-0 and in the matchup, so like, I could re- easily be wrong. Murktide asks a question, but also has this like, I don't really know how to explain it other than skill, there, like a skill gap problem. Here's what I'll say yeah, about Murktide, because I, I think I kind of get where you're coming from, and I think maybe my perspective might be like what you're trying to get to as well. Where Mur- what Murktide region does is it checks the format in a way that's like, hey, I'm going to play efficient answers, efficient threats, and I'm going to do that every time. And I'm going to have the cyborg cards that pivot week to week that make my deck 1% to 2% better against you. And yes, my deck looks the same every time. Yes, all the lists are within three cards. But if you can't play good ABC magic or you have a draw that's bad, I'm going to punish you. Yeah. And that is kind of Murktide's role. In the it, it's so funny. I got told I was dumb for playing the first Brazen Borrower over the third Archmatrix Charm. And I was like, no, like, they're they're the same card in so many spots, but one of them kills my opponent way faster. It's kind of like this thing of, Murktide does exactly what Mason just said. It focuses in on being efficient and asking you to either, can you deal with this one drop? Okay. Can you deal with this one drop? Okay. Can you deal with this eight drop on turn four? And if the answer is yes to all of those, it also was like, okay, well, I answered all of your things, so where are we at now? Because I I have expressive iteration, right? I think that that's a good question for the format. I actually really like Murktide being the quote-unquote best deck. I know that people don't like hearing that I think that that's the best deck, but I, I think it is. And I, I think that it's a good question that is being asked. And I also think that like it has a really good foil in four color whether it's the elementals version whether it's the control version i hope it's not the ragavan version but i like i do think that the question that it asks is easily answered by another part of the format and that that also puts a different question on the format and i really like that so abe you're, you're pretty pro hammer as a being good against mark tide can you kind of explain why that is and why you think that when it comes to, I mean, specifically the Hammer versus Murktide matchup, it kind of helps to start from understanding, like, why Murktide is good, which we've explained, right? It's, it has these efficient answers and these efficient threats. All of its cards are very efficient. And because it has the permission uh, aspect and the card advantage aspect, it will be able to play long games. Um, it can maneuver itself very well to whatever the speed of the game needs to be. It has the ability to dictate the pace offensively and defensively. The thing about Hammer is that Hammer has the ability to play at a similarly, if not more efficient pace, because a cheaper curve. But also, it gets to stages of the game where almost every card in Murktide's arsenal is invalidated, right? If I have a, a Hammer on a Stoneforge Mystic, without two Deliriumed Unholy Heats, unless you're playing Brazen Bar, there's not a way to remove that 11-12 from the board. So the ability hammer is one of the reasons for what it's worth that I elected to play the the first brazen borrower. But I know that's like 
semantics, right? It's like one card. Yeah. Well, Archimedes Charm is also good there. They're, they are very similar. I, I do. I do have a question though. Well, oh, you actually just answered it. Does Archimedes Charm not do that though? Like you talked about how well, they need the Brazen Bar, but like Archimedes Charm also steals the hammer. But if the hammer's on my creature already, right? If I if I oh sure it sure sure. To... If you go to equip it and I steal it, doesn't it get stolen and it doesn't equip? No, the equip results. No. The reason why, well, part of the reason why is it's an aid trigger. So aid equips it. Got it. Well, so yeah. So, oh. so aid will put a trigger on the stack that will attach it to the creature. Got it. I'm pretty sure, though, if you... Hmm. Yeah, I think if I pure steel pub... I'm not going to lie. I've drawn Brazen Borrower in probably an inappropriate amount in that matchup. I've never not drawn it in the matchup, and it is a one-of. I don't know if that means I'm like digging to it too hard, but everything you just said leads me to believe that you're right. Because what ends up happening is I end up having two mana counter spells and Archmage's Charm, and you end up having everything cost two or less. Yeah, so not only does everything cost two or less, but also there are games where I can completely invalidate all of the counter magic in the deck on my Urza Saga draws. Where either I've cast things like Esper Sentinel or Giver of Runes under your ability to have counter magic, and then you're going to need to spend removal spells that will later open up, open up my hand because you've had to spend them. And I've, I've gotten cards with things like Esper Sentinel. Or I'm able to just play the Construct game, and unless you have something like Dress Down in your main deck to interact with those, those can be very taxing on the fairly limited number of uh, removal spells that you have access to, right? Like, at a certain point, you do run out of things, and you having Express Federation is good, but when all of my things, if I'm able to just sequence behind, and this was much easier with Lurus, for what it's worth, if I can sequence behind and have my last thing be another equipped threat... Unless you have exactly Murktide region in play already, uh, you can wind up very far behind the eight ball. And in the post-board games, I, I, it feels a lot better because of the fact that... Mur like, there have been times where Murktide sideboard has been more oriented towards the hammer matchup, where they've had things like Alpine Moon because Urza Saga decks were very good, and Tron was very prevalent, or um, they've had Little hint. multiple copies of Engineer Explosives, or... That's true uh, now, by the way. I also have always had multiple copies. I want to ask a question... Um, but I also want to pitch it to Mason because I feel like he's been quiet during the segment because it's mostly us. My my question is, is there a version of Hammer Time that you love? And two, is there things that you think that that version could get hated out by? It was really funny. I was listening to Arena Decklists, and they clearly were a lot lower on Hammer Time than we have been as a podcast. And I don't know if that's because of myself and Matt playing the deck because of Abe and Abe being on the show. But, like, I thought that that was legitimately, like, the number one or number two deck with Luris. So, like, hearing their take on the deck was really weird for me. Even going after the Luris ban, I thought that they lost very little from Luris being banned. And I think that the more I've played Modern, the more that has played out to be true. Um, in fact, I think that, like, Nettlesest and the different things that they can do, now that Lurse is gone, has shown that they get to play the game depending on the format, whereas before they just had to be streamlined. Before they got to be streamlined. Like, they, they have to do these things now to keep up week to week, but before, it was a very, very solid, like, Lurus 75. And I think that the deck's definitely gotten weaker, but it, it has certainly... I've certainly adapted to the loss of Luris by just building to be more resilient rather than being that way. But, I mean, the deck is also kind of not performing. Great. Part of the reason why the deck doesn't perform, 
as well is that we we've seen the rise of and a continuous rise. And this is part of the problem with Hammer Four is that the four color decks really beat up on the Hammer decks in the various forms, and we're seeing it now more so too with the Elementals becoming the kind of four color du jour. We saw Autumn Burchette crush it on Moto and in real life in an event with that deck, and then we saw Cory Bowmaster piloted it to a second place finish at the SCG uh, Philadelphia 5K as well, and it's been doing well in Moto. No top eights this week, but it's been like pretty consistent. And the Elementals version is actually like weirdly better against Hammer 2 because they play a bunch of Furies, a bunch of Eldam recalls, and more Ephemerates. So like they actually just like clear the board up a whole bunch. And this is kind of a, a thing that the four colors decks all do is they like are really good against decks that try to play traditional magic. Uh, and the Elementals is like a way to trump the four color like race of like, hey, we're trying to like trade cards and play like fair magic all the time, but like you can never beat our end game of like Eternal Witness and Ephemerate. So they play Risen Reef to like in Cavern of Souls as part of the thing to like trump the trumping. And it just turns out that like you can do all that with Yorion stuff and upgrade your Elementals deck from a 60 to an 80 card deck and you still get all that kind of oomph. And so I think that's been a big reason why we see things like, you know, you never see humans anymore. We, we, Elementals was a response to like Yawgmoth starting to do well. Like Yawgmoth is like kind of 50-50-ish with traditional four color, but like has some pretty big issues with Elementals at times. And just that kind of stuff keeps people down. And we've seen the other big deck before we kind of get everything else kind of pop up because it's so good against four color. Uh, but it has a little bit of issues more so with Elementals and that's the living end. And this is like the other kind of big pressure on the format for creature decks is that Living End is a really fast and efficient combo deck that has a Wrath of God in its main deck, right? Like the card Living End at worst just clears the board so often and it, it almost is never not putting a creature into play. So we're seeing like how it's really, really hard to be a creature deck in modern right now. And that's without us ever mentioning cards like March, Ending, Unholy Heat, Solitude. Like we didn't mention any of those cards there. And they're all just like these huge players. So I think it's really hard for a deck like Hammer to exist, even though I do think it has some good matchups with like, like if you look at Murktide by the numbers, you should like probably play Hammer because Murktide's like a good matchup for you or whatever. And there's some other like pretty reasonable to good matchups here outside of uh, four color in the top decks. But being a creature deck is just so, so hard right now. It's really funny you say that, Mason, about the elementals versus four color in the Hammer matchup. I personally feel like Elementals is easier to beat than traditional four color as Hammer because my sideboard cards can line up better against them. Their draws are a little more fragile and, and often their card advantage built around Risen Reef and their overall answers, despite them having more copies of the pitch spells and specifically the pitch Elementals, they're a lot easier to work through. But I do think that overall any of the four color archetypes and any of the Solitude decks in general are kind of the reason that Hammer's kept down right now. My thoughts were around four color and living end. I think that the difference between four color control and four color omnath elementals is depending on how big and how hard you want to go in a specific direction. I don't know that like the E witness package and the elemental package are that different in other matchups. It just depends on, I mean like that's probably not true. I'm um, thinking about risen reef, but what I'm saying is like, what you're trying to achieve as your very end game is different, but what you're trying to achieve in the meta game is pretty close to the same, right? Basically, uh, I think what you're kind of getting at is that like 
the Eternal Witness deck, like if you build like traditional four color, like I've played a bunch and been a big proponent, and like Ellen Bogan's a big proponent of, is you play a lot of cards that are really good with Eternal Witness. So you play things like Counterspell and Holy Heat, uh, Lightning Bolt, uh, Prismatic Ending, March with Holy Light. Like these are your answer spells. And the Elementals deck is looking to use the pitch elementals in addition to some amount of prismatic endings and stuff like that, but they don't do things like counterspell and they're basically their plan is to answer resolve things and then yeah. have risen reef make up the difference where eternal witness is like literally like nothing resolves. The game is over. Yeah. They're both trying to end the game on a pure value basis, right? The way that the four color control deck ends the game is I have counterspell counterspell random Emma Dollary's call, Ewit in hand. You literally can't beat this, right? And then the Elementals deck is, I will have seven cards in my hand the rest of the game. You can't beat this, right? And so the game plans are different, but they're doing the same thing. The Living End deck, I think, has a Tron matchup problem. I think it is bad against the Tron lands. And I know that people disagree with me, but I, I think that it's like... Easily the next worst matchup. I think that you are in pretty big trouble to the Tron lands. While the Tron lands are on a decline because we don't see like, I think that the blue Tron deck is making a comeback and the green Tron deck is not going away. I think that's actually going to spell bad problems for living end over the next month. I do think that that is like the third best deck in modern for what it's worth. Like if I were to rank them, I would go Marktide one, the four color decks two, living end three, and I would put Hammer Time 4 for what it's worth. I think the Tron Land decks, I would still put them in like the top five. I, th I think that they're actually really good. My main problem with Tron is the same thing that I think the Living End actually has the biggest problem with, and that's Murktide region. I think Murktide just checks both those I, decks so I, well. To be fair, I agree that Tron has a Murktide problem. Living End has a Murktide problem and a Tron problem. It's going to hit from both ends of the spectrum. This is an open-ended question. What do you like Tron against in the format? Because I, yeah, I kind of like it against four color. I like it against the four color elemental decks. I think it's like unlosable in that variant. I also think it's good against like random modern bullcrap. This is like kind of circumstantial evidence, but we played a team headhunters event. This is the event that we talked about on the show. What was it like a month ago? Where I played Tron. Because we wanted a big mana deck and didn't want to get the cards for Amulet. And then I had also just cashed a, a challenge. It was like, whatever, yeah, I'll play this. And one of the things that became really evident really quickly is that people tilt against Tron lands. They get so scared. And this is one of those, another skill problem. And at the very top levels, this doesn't happen, right? And I think it's why you see Tron not winning events. I don't know if you put the total number of top 32s, but I did see like... Yeah, it had like one person. Yeah, I think that Tron still had like a top 32 this week. And the thing is, is... Oh, you know what? I'm actually looking at this now. You said uh, Scapeshift, Amulet... Yeah, yeah. Cal Calibrated Blast. We haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but what I want to say is like... Well, the random a, like... <laughs> checkmate you lose decks like Scapeshift, Tron... I don't know that Amulet fits into this category. I actually think Amulet is a little bit underplayed right now. I think that those type of decks, these big mana or like big thing decks, they ask a question that while it gets answers, answered by the best deck, doesn't lose to the other stuff. 
so my problem is I actually think it does lose to all the other stuff too. So that that's my big problem. And I was talking to Ellen Bogan about this with the four color against Tron. Like once we got Besaju and we started sideboarding like two more Besajus. And I think he had some spreading seas too in his main deck, and I don't. So that's like a little bit of like small edges things there. But like my experience has actually been that like while the matchup is not good, and I would not money match people for Tron versus four color control. I am no longer like, oh my gosh. Where in Vegas, my last round of day one was Tron, and I looked yeah, almost guys, resigned. You guys play the version that's good against Tron, though. Are, I, I you, are you anti-Elementals version, then? My main problem with the Elementals version is that I think it is good for things like Modo and whatnot, and it's still a good deck. Like, I don't think it's bad by any means. It's like, we're talking like percentage points here, but I think in the aggregate, in the wild, the counterspell type stuff actually covers more bases. So if you're going to play things that are smaller... Then an, uh, a 5k, I would play four color. If you're going to play 5k and bigger, I think it's week to week. And this week, I would play elementals. So that's kind of where I kind of fall. So it was really funny. We were in the Headhunters event where I was playing Tron. And one of the things that was like, depending on what their four color list looked like, depending on whether or not I, as the Tron player, as the Headhunter, wanted to play against them. And I think you just highlighted it. Like, yeah, I don't want to play against Counterspell with my Tron deck. I mean, uh, Tron can fix this, right? Like, Tron can be a warm coil engine or draw a Z deck with Cavern of Souls. It just sucks. Like, that that deck is not good. It's good in those matchups. It's just not a good deck. I think Tron just has the problem where if you're at anything smaller than a 5K, so, like, less than 200 people, I think you're better off playing, like, other decks for the most part. It it was different for your Headhunter thing because you got to, like, pick your matchups. Yeah, it's true. You always got the best. But, but like, but like, you're also discounting my top 32 in a in a challenge the same time, right? But a, but a challenge is bigger than a 200 person thing in my mind. Like challenges are big events. Sure. So like at, you... at, at small events, I think the Tron deck doesn't have enough good matchups consistently because the meta game is so much weirder at smaller tournaments, right? Like like this. So this is a thing in modern for general Fortnite. This is not just Tron, but when it comes to meta gaming decks, at small events it's hard to pick meta gaming decks because people play whatever they want. And you, like, very rarely actually see the best decks until, like, the finals. So you have to kind of, like, make sure you win matchups that are going to be weird. And then at bigger events, your deck has to be really, really good and better than the best deck. So, like, like Merktide's, like, the bar every deck has to clear for me personally. So that's all I was going to say. And I think this next deck that I really want to cover, which is Affinity, does that sort of thing where it clears the... Is there a reason to play me over Merktide versus a lot of things? And Affinity does that where... Uh, Affinity had six finishes across the two events, and three of them were top eight finishes. Uh, I think including a, a second place for the showcase. Yeah, it's yes, kind it of hard sh- looking at all these Affinity lists because they look really... Not, they're not really no. all Affinity. Like One of these is a Fiddlebender deck. The Fiddlebender deck is weird, but I I didn't know else to put it except Affinity because it like is similar. Like the, the deck from the showcase was just, you know, Frogmites, Mirror Enforcers, many artifacts make things cheap make urza tokens urza saga that's kind of classic but there are just a lot of random non hammer artifact strategies i think that the like affinity like artifact shelly decks the thing about them it's like the, the check we talked about murktide right where it's like hey i'm gonna have cheap threats with efficient answers what are you gonna do and they kind of do a similar question to uh the hammer deck where they're like hey well they're similar answer sorry like, hey, I'm going to go under you, and I'm going to try and overwhelm you on these key turns, and that's how we're going to play the game. Uh, which I think is, like, a pretty reasonable thing. And against the elemental decks and the four-color decks, instead of trying to force through a hammer at the right spot, 
I'm just going to generate so many cards that's going to be hard for you to keep up. And I'm going to really hope Urza Saga does a lot of lifting in that spot. Too. And then the living in check for the last big deck, they can refill their board and they have a lot of graveyard hate artifacts. I have played against this deck a lot in the last two days. And the person who uh, got second with it said, and I quote, my deck is broken. I think the deck is good, but I don't think it's great. I'm curious what you two, what you two all think about it. Because I do think it clears the bar of like, good enough to consider but i don't know if it's the choice i think you know i think logan utah grinder clinton listens to the show his drunk at a bar deck is affinity with crater hoof behemoth and neoform and that deck actually top aided the 1k that we were just at not 1k almost 2k i don't know how good the like neoform you know crater hoof with your affinity stuff is but like I have played against this Affinity deck in every format where this BS Affinity for draw seven bull crap, whatever deck is legal. I think that Affinity is back. I think that while they lost Mox Opal, I think that the draw creature flying BS is really good. I think it also asks another question for the format, and it will quickly take over if you do not check it. I actually think this deck is really good. I actually think that it will... Probably literally take my spot of Hammer Time if left unchecked, where Hammer Time gets to be good in more metagames because it asks different questions, but catches the hate of this deck for as long as this deck is good. I was going to say, I think that if you asked me how I would build a deck that plays to a bunch of the strengths of Hammer Time, if I said, like, I want to play an Urza Saga proactive aggressive deck without being vulnerable in the ways that Hammer Time is vulnerable, where my opponent has solitude and I'm all in on a creature then uh, and, and they just have it I will lose you know I, I want to play more counter spells and more ways to answer what my opponent's doing more interactive spells this seems like a pretty natural way for the Esper Sentinel cheap artifact creature springleaf drum kind of start to go there's a lot I don't love you say about like the way it's that not this the original specific... way it was by the way Abe. Well, no, I'm I'm saying like this deck. I, if you I'm look just, at it, right, I'm just it's like, teasing you. I'm sorry. Thoughtcast, Thought Monitor. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the main deck to Fairy Time Raveler. Okay, that one's four portable hole. Like it is a much more focused deck on interacting with sure. the opponent than something like Hammer Time. And the sideboard honestly looks very very similar to some of the blue Hammer Time sideboards as uh, the decks have kind of gone through transition, including you know trying out the Reality Chip, playing like Lion Sashes and stuff. Really more of these toolboxy longer game cards where now their sideboard has, you know, Meddling Mage or Lavinia on top of their heavy artifact base. I personally still think that it looks bad enough on paper that I don't have any interest. I, I don't think it's like the future of things. It does get to main deck more bullets because it has less purely synergy cards, right? Like it doesn't have Sigarda's Aid or Hammer, so you can play more flexible spells. You can afford to play this interactive stuff, and your game plan is more more able to contend with, like, four-color and just the decks that are really, really bad matchups for Hammer. But, I don't know, I'm not quite sold. Check way more, too. It does, yeah. Um, which, which is pretty big. I might be a little too spoiled by having played through Force of Vigor successfully when it probably doesn't work out all the time like that when I play Hammer, but I do think that if the idea is that an Esper Sentinel artifact deck is a place you want to be urza saga is still really really strong as a threat and you can afford to play a much slower game plan which has urza and then like some counter magic and you want to play main deck to fairy then this deck's really good but i'm, I'm not personally quite sold 
I'll say this is 12 lands that die to March of Otherworldly Light. And uh, I have taken some people to Stone Rain Town. Spencer, what about you before we move on to Rhinus? Oh, man. We can do that first. Uh, well, can can I? I have a warning about Rhinus, uh, though. <laughs> is it that I'm going to go off? Well so, well, so here's the thing. Every podcast has their weak spot, you know? Like Arena Decklist, they're always telling you, hey, play a Squadron Hawk. Sure, I love sure. you, Jerry, but come on. It's not sure, real. Sure. We are not going to tell you to play the Rhino stack. Oh, uh, we all anti rhinos. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> well, I think I think we all hate rhinos. Oh, I can play rhinos so I hold, can farm you. That's on. how I feel about it. Hold on, <laughs> I, I I will do rhinos first. I want some validation after I go off about this because there's something that I was right about. <laughs> it's such a good lie. It's so good. <laughs> Sorry, Daddy. No, it's fine. Against time. This it's song. fine. You go, Spencer. I'm going to mute while I laugh. <laughs> if there's a human being that should love Team Rhinos. They are literally sitting in this chair. There should not be a person that you know that would love that deck more. And when the deck came out, I tweeted about it. I was like, this is the greatest thing to ever happen to any format in the history of mankind. The deck is bad. You should not play it. It's actually like legitimately a bad deck. I think that it has no good matchups. I mean, actually none. Your cards have good matchups, but your deck has none. And I think that's a bad place for a deck to be. I want to talk about blue-white after this, but i that is all I will say. Uh, this is what I'll say about the, the Rhinos deck, is the Rhinos deck consistently trades card advantage for tempo uh, at every point. It plays gemstone caverns in some number, and sometimes even sideboards them, so that, like they can try and get a hit on you. And it, like... Tries to use things like Force of Vigor or Force of Negation to, like, make up for the fact that its threats aren't very good. But basically, the deck comes down to, can you beat 8 power uh, twice? And if you can, the deck has a really, really hard time winning. Like, I've watched a lot of games where you just activate Urza Saga, you grab a Shadow Sphere, and you equip. And they eventually answer it, but it bought enough time that things stabilize. You play a 5-5 Murktide Regent, and, like... They, you know, go for the second one and you counterspell, and now they've got to like find their dead gone to answer Dude, the Murktide that, Regent. That happens like, that. So, like you play a 5 5 Murktide Regent, and the game goes on for like six more turns. They never attack again and then die on turn like 11 of that. That is so common. And they theoretically can beat like everything I've presented to you. Like they have Brazen Borrower, they have like the forces, they have all these sort of things. But. Their cards are just, I think, not good enough. And I think Blood Moon isn't in a good enough card right now, which is actually a big selling point of this deck. Uh, and so I'm, I'm pretty much... I have a question for you, Abe, because I think yep. the biggest get for this deck is Fire Ice. The deck getting that card propelled it. It was like, oh yeah, like this deck is good now. It is Fire Ice enough to keep this in the echelon that people think it's in? I was pretty harsh there earlier when I said you should play Rhino so I can beat you up. Because the deck does have some really, really strong positions in the metagame where Blood Moon's really good. And we saw that recently where Four Color had not quite adapted to its full-on Besaju plans. The mana base was really weak to it. A lot of decks were just Sepulchre Blood Moon. Amulet Titan was all over the place. And people weren't playing as many Teferi Time Raveler decks. So this deck actually was in a good spot for a weekend and, and has been performing really well. But... That time is over. Everyone's adapted. Rhinos is not having its moment in the sun anymore, and you should not play it. Your interactive spells are either two for one yourself for immediacy, or 
your interactive spells are overcosted in a format where everything is defined by efficiency of interaction, right? Like the reason four color is so good is because it has the ways to catch up and still use cards for the free. Spell. I, I actually have a really, so, I have a really key point to what you just said. You talked about how you get, you get to play on two sides, right? You either believe that the format is not about value or you believe it's so much not about value that you don't even care about value and you two for win yourself. And the problem is, is that the format is about value. So I agree with you, man. I think that Rhinos has its moments where Blood Moon specifically is a disproportionately good card. It's one of the best Blood Moon decks because it gets to play it, but it's not there right now. I think that the other key thing for me in this deck, while like there's not a world in which Spencer doesn't want like some team or BS shardless agent deck to be literally the best deck in a format that's my dream that's the thing i want in the whole world this deck has a real problem of its identity is just bad its identity doesn't make sense its identity i mean the deck is just one note right like it's 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 not one note though it's two notes but they address the same problem i don't know how to explain this Uh, so here's my problem this is probably important to talk about and if you're listening to the podcast and you have for a while I've probably done this a bunch and it was just, I never mentioned it. And I'm sure these guys do it and other content creators do it too. When I'm talking to you about decks and things like this, a lot of time I'm, I'm assuming that your budget is one or two modern decks that you own in paper. And that'll be your two decks for like a year. And then maybe a year you're going to pick up a third deck, right? And barring a band, that's going to be what you do. So part of suggesting a deck and saying my deck is good or not, is how often I think you'll hit if you click the button on the deck. So like Murktide, if you've talked to me since Murktide's been a deck in Modern because I've been playing it since the beginning, I've told you that's the deck you should pick. If you only could ever click one button in Modern since MH2, Murktide was the correct answer. And I've told that to a lot of people and it's just, it's been true. So when I tell you Rhinos isn't a good deck, it doesn't mean there aren't spots where Rhinos isn't good. It doesn't mean there aren't metagames where Rhinos isn't good. It just means, hey, I think if you're going to click the Rhinos button 52 times this year, you're going to come up uh, like a big like winner. Seven, seven weeks, you're like a, hitting the jackpot, right? Yeah, and the rest of the week, you're really struggling. And I, and I think that that's a, a problem, and it's hard for me to pitch and sell you on a deck and talk about that, that I think has those problems, and I think structurally does have some problems. And it has a lot of the same strengths in the metagame that Living In has outside of being the best Blood Moon deck, but Blood Moon isn't particularly good right now, and Living In kind of does a lot of things way better. And the like kind of sacrificing card advantage for a tempo swing, I think living in the card actually does way more because you just have a bunch of cards that aren't actually cards and you hope that the board wipe into a bunch of threats wins the game. Dude, you just so made it's really like, hard to ever talk about rhinos. I think you just made one of the best points in the history of this show, for what it's worth. And I love that you were like hesitant to do it. Rhinos is a lot like old affinity or old dredge in like when it's good, it's obviously really good. If it's not about value and it's about just countering and killing stuff and then having, you know, some four fours in place, obviously it's the this is the best deck in those weeks. And in the spots where that's true, it's the best deck. The problem is, is that that's not where modern is at right now. If seven of the 52 weeks that's true and you played it every week, you were wrong like what 83% of the time or something that's just like math in my head but like that's really bad but that doesn't mean that you're wrong for picking it when you think it's right and hitting 
just like Dredge and Affinity were. That's just the type of deck this is. And we, as people like me who want this deck to be good, have to accept that. And the longer you hold on to how good it was six months ago, the longer it will be bad. You have to let go and pick it up when it's right. You can't pick it up any other time. Before we hop into Blue-White, because I, I do want to talk about it too, I know you mentioned it. The deck that kind of falls similarly to this for me personally is Burn Next, which had three appearances but had two top eights uh, across the two events. I think Burn is in a similar spot about like picking your spots in the metagame. So this is a hotly debated thing that I actually like. I don't get a lot of weird Twitter DMs about matchup stuff except for this, which is what do you think wins the matchup, Burn or Money Pile? And I believe it is burn favored on the average. I actually think you have Omni. I love this. It's also burn favored for Merc against Merc Tide. The the argument that burn players tell me, and I've talked to a lot of really good burn players about it, is that you have a lot of answers, and then Omneth, and Omneth takes over the game. But the thing is, is that you actually need to find Omneth and have the answers and kind of do it all. And typically, that's not a problem for four color in most matchups, like even Merc Tide and things like that. I can elongate the game. But the redundancy and burn actually condenses that down and makes it a real problem. So it's kind of like the survivor's bias where four color players who resolve Omnath, and I have a winning record against burn. I haven't played that much, but I've gotten very lucky and found Omnath every time. And so like I have a winning record, but I slam an Omnath and I take over the game, but I don't believe that to be true. And I think if I were to sit there and play a hundred games versus burn, I'm going to lose a bunch because the 80 cards actually does come up. So th that's kind of me on burn. I don't know if y'all disagree. I don't want to spend too much time on burn. I think it's a great deck week to week type thing. I, but I agree. Not on average. I, I think that burn is actually in a really good spot in the metagame right now. It's actually the opposite of rhinos, where like I think that if you don't draw Murktide as the Murktide deck, you're actually a huge dog to burn. Like I actually don't think you can win. Like I think that you win a hundred percent of the games where you draw Murktide and like it lives, and then you lose. Not 100, but like pretty close to 100 of the games where that's the opposite. And it's kind of like the same thing with Omnath, right? Where it's like, yeah, I have this game-breaking card, but like that's the card I have. And I, and I think that Burn is in a good spot right now. It, like that, will fluctuate. What do you think, Ed? I think Burn's really good. Uh, I think it does have a favorable four-color matchup and a favorable Murktide matchup. I think like it, it's very easy to prepare against, and it's very easy to respect. So when you're not playing against those decks uh, where you're naturally favored... It is, you know, you're fighting a little bit of an uphill battle, but burn is, it's just good. It's 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 not going anywhere in the same way that uh, a lot of other decks don't. So I do think the four color matchups are favored for it. You have to do a lot of work, I think, to swing that and like the four Eladom recall and then like playing like three or four core firewalkers. Is, is like it good against, can do, but that's a lot of space. Sorry, Mason. Is it good against no, uh, good. the living end deck too? It is kind of favored living end slightly. Okay. Because living end presents such a fast that clock and then undoes too. the creature. It, it, like, it like ends the game so quickly that it doesn't allow Burn to get the, enough off. That that would be my thought too. So. Also, Eidolon isn't very good against them sure. in a way that like it's like a problem where normally Eidolon is like a card that gets you four to six damage. It does often do four if you stick it, but then like it gets a little weird. Roiling Vortex is really good against them though. If you can, it's really good. If you can stick it. That card was really impressive for me when I watched. My, my friend was playing Burn at the uh, at the 2K we played, and he also made top eight. And I mean, not only do you have to play Burn at a really high level right now to compete with decks with Omnath in it, but that card specifically was putting in a lot of work in all the matches I watched of his. You guys might have just convinced me. I mean, you guys being me included, I, we might have just convinced me to play uh, Burn this Saturday at Oasis Games. 
for what it's worth. Hot take play Merktide. Merk burns too much squeeze. <laughs> That's almost like a murky take, Mason. Sure. Some listeners are going to think burns really easy. I think burns oh, no, it's really, really hard. hard. And so, yeah. Anyways, let's talk about Blue White Control. It's a sweet deck. It won the Sunday Challenge, which is super cool. And the thing that, like, this Blue White Control deck does that is a little different than the other things of the past is we're back to Snapcaster Mage, which has been a recent, like, hey, let's pick back up on Snapcaster Mage. Life Greats deck, great. And it just plays some, like, Planeswalkers, but doesn't have any Shark Typhoons. We've kind of moved away from that sort of stuff, which makes a lot of sense. And you see Wandering Emperors and Teferis and stuff. I'll just say this before I throw it over. There are moments where Blue White Control is good. I think your four-color matchup in every variant is unwinnable if you're a good four-color player. And it makes the deck unplayable in my mind. But if you dodge that, you're doing great. So I'll I'll talk about Blue White Control because it's really not my bag. But the Wandering Emperor is a banger. So it's got that going for it. The list that won the challenge is actually... 74 of 75 of Watho Tapa's deck from the day before in the showcase challenge. The one change being the challenge player played one fewer memory deluge and one more fire ice. It is pretty interesting to see how this deck has gone. You can only cover you know, like two thirds of the modern metagame whenever you build your deck, but this deck has gone more towards covering um, its bases of Titan and of four color with these like main deck dress downs and there was a time you know only you know run right after neon dynasty coming out where because hammer was so popular and people were playing the battlefield so much march of otherworldly light was you know this really impactful brand new card it was piecing apart the years of saga decks and, and doing all this work and now this blue white list has zero copies of that card in it it only has two solitudes in the entire 75 it's playing a lot less to one for one the opponent and then pull ahead and it's not worried about the mirror match as much with things like shark typhoon it's been really interesting to see how that's changed. Not to talk about Hammer the whole podcast, even though I love the deck and play a bunch. I think that changes like this are kind of indicative of Hammer's ability to rise in position in the metagame because even the control decks are building less to consider it. And uh, that's really the biggest thing that I've noticed. I mean, Wafatava wins all the time with Blue-White uh, online and his lists are very solid. I think Fire Ice, being able to interact with the board more and these dress downs and fewer solitudes are kind of indicative of fighting a different fight now. I specifically want to talk about the list that won. I know that this has been happening since we recorded that podcast, uh, but I really love the 75 versus, what is it, 95? There are a few reasons why, and I'll talk about those. Um, first of all, like, Snapcaster, Solitude being your only creatures, Dress Down. The numbers make so much sense in this deck. We're calling this blue-white... We have a really great crumble to dust in the sideboard. We have three fire ice in the main. It's like blue white R, right? Like little R is, is really what's happening here. I think this is the best blue white deck since like GP Detroit, like years and years ago. I think that Mason makes a really good point that you have a blue white or a four color problem with blue white. I would say that. If people are going to continue to move the direction of elementals, that will be less true. Yeah, I can see that. I think that one of the things about specifically the blue-white versus four-color matchup that I've observed has been that blue-white's problem comes down to Ren and Six in the early game a lot yeah. of time. It's very difficult for them to answer. I wonder how much the Fire Ice has helped there. Like I, there there's you can't always have Counterspell too. Yeah, right? there's Fire Ice, Counterspell, and Prismatic Ending now, right? So it's like, there's a lot... I think the blue white has been fighting an uphill battle 
in fact, when I started getting into modern, Mason actually recommended the. It was either blue white. It wasn't blue white Tron, was it? It was blue white Urza Saga. What was the blue white deck you were recommending to me? It was it blue white? It was Samus Hammer. No, no, no. It was blue. No, it was a blue white control deck that I didn't like. That played. Uh, oh, it was the Chalice of the Void. Chalice of the Void. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back during game. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. like was like this deck is bad. I don't want to play this. This this deck makes sense, and there's a reason that it makes sense to me. One, leveraging strong planeswalkers is something that the blue decks do better than other decks. And the fact that it is now leveraging literally probably the three best Planeswalkers in modern... I think that, like, Jace the Mindsculptor is really great. Sorry, in blue-white, Mason. I'll, I'll be more clear. Okay. I, I, uh, I was going to say, put in, some respect in, on my Bay Red in, in blue-white. She, she, she's you, she's the facial, queen of the castle. The, the podcast listeners <laughs> could not hear Mason's face, but I could hear it. Like, put some respect on the queen. I think Jace the Mindsculptor will probably fill a role. Like, as people adjust to Wandering Emperor or the fairies, like, Jace the Mind Sculptor will make his back his way back into modern. Like he is that good. But right now this Planeswalker package makes a lot of sense. And because it makes a lot of sense, I think the deck is good. And I also think because you're not playing Yurion, it makes the deck better. The dance that I was doing if you're watching the video is I think that the control decks are better as 60 card decks than Yurion decks. Yeah, there's just no point in being a Yorion deck in Modern because you actually have to have this stuff on time and you should just be four color at that point. I think there's not a reason to be a blue-white Yorion deck. I think there is a reason to be a four color Yorion deck, which is your point. I, I think it's funny that you talk about this because I think all of this, I personally, I watch a lot of Wafo Tapa because I'm a, I'm a blue control guy at heart in, in a lot of ways. And he is also, you know, one of one of the greats of all time, especially for people who are making content right now. It's funny you talk about, you talked in just what you said about multiple different iterations of just his own work of like, he was the one who started by playing chalices in his deck. And you were like, I don't really vibe with that. But then during that time period, he also went through a phase where blue white Yorion control became better because his blue white control deck was so popular online. And he himself, the reason that we don't see that anymore is because Wafa was like, I played with it. I think 60 is better, man. And then that was it. That was, that was done. The King's verdict came down upon the land and no more blue-white guys put a Yori on your sideboard. I, I won't lie to the listeners. When I asked the question on this podcast, I had watched a Wafo stream. <laughs> no, he, he streams. It's he streams a stream on Twitch on the challenges, right? Yeah, I think that's He streams challenges, he streams yeah, during yeah, the week. It was, it was he just, challenges. He streams all the time. The, the 80 cards in the format like Modern is just not tenable for that deck right now. Uh, as long as four colors a thing. It's weird. I don't know. We can get into this for a while. No, we can't. Way. We can't go cheap. But, uh, can we give a shout-outs to a couple decks? I want to cover some of these decks, but I, I want to quickly go over the Vivian sure. deck. Because, well, A, the person who got ninth in the thing tweeted at me and said, like, hey, I took your gruel list from your article and I threw the combo in there. And I think that's dope. I'm super happy that you did great with that. I hope you have a lot of success. I think the Vivian piles need a lot of work. And I think the Gruul deck is actually closer to being a real thing than this, but I don't want to talk about that too, too much. But if you haven't seen it, basically it's plain bound accomplice. You sneak in a Vivian, you sack the accomplice, you get a Felidar, flicker the Vivian, then you sack the Felidar, you get a Karmic guy, Karmic guy comes, uh, grabs the Felidar, Felidar flickers the Vivian, you grab Kikijiki, Kikijiki copies Karmic guy, you get Felidar infinity. Boom, you've won the game. Pretty easy. Obviously, I didn't need to think about that at all when I said it wasn't complicated. And anyways, that, that combo wins the game and it's like a whole package. <laughs> 
video watches the podcast are watching Spencer literally be on the floor. Abe, and, you know, quickly I'll throw it to you here since Spencer's recovering. Uh, do you think the Felder package has legs and is worth exploring some more? Because I think it's maybe worth exploring more, but I think it is a lot of work to win the game. There's obviously something going on here that's good enough. I, I do like this kind of approach of mishmashing it together with another halfway there new combo deck. Like, genuinely, I do like it because I think that it's just presenting a lot of angles at once and you're just like, okay, I'm going to do this one or this one. And I think that overall, you know, we talked a little bit, we like mentioned it, that Uncalibrated Blast had a good weekend. It just feels cemented that Four Color is never going to not be one of the best two decks to be playing on a given weekend. If that remains the case, then finding the right kind of combo deck that, you know, obviously does enough to get through and just go over the top of this inevitability that the, the four color decks have. We see it done with big mana, we see it done with things like Uncalibrated Blast that just circumvent that whole equation. That decks like this, if they get the refinement in, if it all comes together, they have very real legs. And, you know, this wasn't the only person who succeeded with that. I think there was one other deck that placed that was uh, also using the combo. And so, you know, it might be like six eight months or so before we see more of this really start to take shape in a way that is good and like makes sense but the fact that you really go off from resolving one three mana spell with another card in hand you have four mana it's kind of a splinter twin situation on its own provided your opponent doesn't have that kind of interaction so i think it's got chops i think that if you're someone who has like a rental service and wants to you know mess around and do something fun and cool this is a great place to put your time and maybe a little bit of idle brain power if you're interested in it so there are some other decks that had like one finish. There was one Heliod, one Yawgmoth. And I kind of want to talk about these with the Vivian combo deck because I think, and I was listening to Dominar's Judgment, which is a podcast by Ari Lax and Dom Harvey. It's really good. It's all modern all the time. And they're talking about how creature combo decks just don't really get to exist anymore because they have a really hard time fighting through the removal. And the strength of creature combo decks is typically they line up well against the removal. So then it's like, how do you beat my fair plan? Plus, like, I'm hovering this inevitability over you. And I think Solitude and uh, Prismatic Ending March with Lily Light and Unholy Heat stops playing Walker 2 is a pretty big part of this. But, like, creature combo decks have a really hard time. And while I love Yawgmoth and I've been a big advocate of it and I, like, wrote this whole guide for it and I've put a lot of time into it, I do think these problems are something that needs to be overcome there has to be some sort of new card or new way to approach the games. Like a Meat Hook Massacre type card that isn't actually Meat Hook Massacre that plays in a similar way but is a totally different angle of attack. Uh, I think it's really needed. And I think the Vivian, Yogg, and Heliod deck all, excuse me, have this problem and have it in spades. And so that makes it really hard for me to be like pro those decks when just getting a creature to stick on the board is really hard. Yeah, I actually think these decks all have the same problem that the, the Rhinos deck have for what it's worth, where it's like, the question that they're asking is too easily answered by the commonly played cards right now. And then the fact that these decks also probably have a bad Rhinos matchup makes it even worse. I don't know about the, the Vivian decks. I haven't looked at that yet. One of the things that was really powerful about like things like, um, you know, to go boomer on you guys is like the pod decks, right? Is that they had hard to answer threats. I'm going to say something really, really controversial. I I think that Modern Horizons might have been good for Modern. I think Modern is my favorite format. The last bannings and Modern Horizons have maybe made this the best format in Magic. And I think the reason why is because the answers have caught up because of it. And the threats, while good, 
and while must answers exist, are in line with the answers now. That makes decks like Pod a lot worse. Like any creature combo deck. I was also thinking about bringing up kind of my hottest take about Modern, which is that the pitch spells are finally at their peak. I feel like it was kind of... People talked about how, oh, like we had the Force Cycle and that was like obviously really powerful. Now we have the Pitch Elementals and those will obviously be powerful too. Uh, to the point where some people were like, these are way too good. You know, how could you print like things like Solitude are really oppressive. I don't think they're quite oppressive. You know, I think they're they're here to stay and they are doing their job. But we're really seeing what that does to a format and to see the way that answers that cost mana have to keep up with that. Like Unholy Heat, like you said, and Mason, answering Planeswalkers is so good. The way that games are kind of about value because then you're able to either cast your Solitude or evoke your Solitude and not pay the cost of going down cards that has kind of become the rules of the format and we even see like living end is even hard for creature decks because it is a deck that is inherently about not allowing itself to get beat by the efficient removal and answers the format it will be able to combo on your turn so that it can force of negation your counterspell for its combo if, if you're a creature deck or if you're a control deck it will be able to play all of these pitch spells grief to clear the way with its random blue black cycling creature all these things add up to a format where decks like this do have a hard time thriving. You can't assemble a Malira, a Kitchen Finks, and a Viscera Seer anymore. That's not something you could you could ever conceive of doing in the current modern format unless you're playing a deck that had the speed to just not care about that, right? Like a deck like Hammer only gets to exist because it really only needs to be unchecked for two turns, sometimes only one with an Ink Moth Nexus or with the incidental damage table to deal. Kind of like my overall feeling on, on modern when it comes to these decks, and how Modern has changed since Modern Horizons 2 is just that. The pitch cards, like, they dictate so much of how your decks are built. They're the only way to be more efficient than Merktide, and so you need to draw cards to keep up with that, or you need to uh, you need to be playing Merktide. You know, it's... I really love what you just said, because I think that we've just spent, you know, almost two hours talking about Modern, and the the common theme here is the format is, is not a about what I think people want it to be about, but it is about something fun. Oh yeah, the format's amazing right now. I think it's super fun to play. You know, the deck that I want to give a shout out to, which I didn't even know about until Mason put it in the show notes, is Scapeshift. I'm not out here trying to tell you to play Scapeshift over Amulet for what it's worth. I actually think Amulet is a really good deck right now. What I also think is finding spots where you understand what the format is about and then going back through the history of the game, like with Rhinos, and finding the spots where the thing you're trying to do is good, like with Affinity, like with Living End, is really good in a format like Modern. It's really good in a format like Legacy. With the introduction of the Elementals and with the Force Spells, that is actually where Modern has ended up. And because they're taking care of it, I think it's now just a better format than Legacy. I think it's I think that Modern is the best format in Magic, and it, you could not have paid me to say that a year ago. I think that's going to do it for us on Modern this week, but I am going to leave us with the last deck that uh, Top 8 Challenge we didn't talk about. That's Tameshi Combo Deck. I think the Tameshi Combo Deck is great, amazing. It only has a weakness to removal, graveyard hate, artifact hate, interaction, decks that are fast, decks that can... Uh, 
kill really quick. So if you can overcome all of those problems, I think the Tameshi deck's great. And you just have to beat everything in modern. Uh, anyways, that was great that they top aided. It's going to do it for modern. Guys, if you were going to play modern, I think a lot of us kind of have expressed our feelings on stuff. But if you were going to suggest a modern deck to a listener, and maybe a listener's got a dream hack Dallas coming up where they're going to hang out with me in a month. Or maybe they are, you know, they got the, PPT, the PTQ season is starting up. You know, we're going to have RPTQ, blah, blah, blah. You're not so long. What is the deck that you would suggest someone buy or what are some of the decks? If someone's looking like, ah, I really need to get into modern. I got to start playing. So when these events start in two months, I'm ready to go. Uh, Abe, I'll throw it to you first. If you want to play it safe, you're only going to get one deck. You should get Murktide or you should get Four Color. If you're a loose cannon like me and you love to get in there, Hammer Time, baby. List on my Twitter. Check it out. That deck, it's so fun. It's so good. It is like only maybe a half step below the other two decks because of the fact that its matchups are polarized instead of being 50-50 with the top two decks where you're really good against Murktide and pretty bad against Four Color. But I think it's really good against a lot of the rest of the format too. That would be me personally, but what about you, Spencer? Yeah, I think you should just buy Murktide. I think it gets you into Grix's Death Shadow. Uh, which gets you into the new Black Red Death Shadow deck. Like, I, I think Murktide is... It is the perfect deck to get into Modern with. It is the best deck in Modern. I think that it has pretty close to 0% chance of getting banned. Like, honestly, I think we're past the point of wanting to ban Ragavan. I actually think that, like, the fact that other decks are moving away from Ragavan tells me that we're past that point, and it just makes me think that that's the deck you should buy. If you're trying to min-max your money and time or whatever, picking Murktide Living End or a four-color pile, and the four-color piles will move around a little bit, but picking the one at the time, I think those are all really safe buys. And if you just have to do something that's different and you just you can't bring yourself to play one of the top decks, totally understandable. Yawgmoth, it has a lot of problems, but it's still like the best of the bad decks. Like It's the best of the tier two decks, like the decks that have problems. Uh, so that, that's where I'm at. I, I would say that if you were going to pick a number two deck i would just buy mono green tron it's never gonna get banned it has longevity it, you're at worst gonna be like a 2.5 deck I, I don't know like i i think that one is also really cheap still somehow or you can become a burn master burn no don't do that row. you should not play burn that deck's really hard i know that everybody at your local become event, a master put yourself to work dedicate yourself to a craft I think that there's a lot of people oh, that believe that about themselves, that it's not true about the <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Goldfish here. The, the thing I like about Yogg, by the way, is that the time you get in, you get out a lot, and people just haven't figured it out yet. But in reality, if you want to do something that's like off the beaten path, it should just be Blue Living End and not Mark Tide or Four Color. Because the Living End deck is really, really good, and people just never play the right hate for it. Dude, I actually, I actually think, for what it's worth, Dredge decks are hot right now. Like, I actually think they're really good. Uh, endurance your turn uh <laughs> just kidding <laughs> hey by the way jund just bad mark tide all right let's move on to the patreon question of the week if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash ccmtg it's a way to support the show so always be free but it's a way to get back this week's question comes from andrew he says when you can't play games how do you go about learning a deck how do you approach this to do guides streams etc um i feel like we've covered this in an episode or maybe we talked about doing it I, it's all it's been doing it for so long it's all kind of blur in my head but the main thing i'll say is if you're trying to learn a deck and you can't play for whatever reason like you don't have the cards yet or you just don't have the time you should just watch modern 
ideally somebody playing your deck, regardless of how good or bad their build or whatever it is, just get as much secondary reps as you can. Uh, and if you can't do that, just be watching something so you get an idea about what other decks are trying to do. But you should just be devouring content as much as you can. When I was in college and also playing all of the SDGs, the thing I would do if I was ever oddling decks or like when they announced Pioneer was I would go find a streamer that I ideally I had faith in and knew and I could trust that their decisions made sense. And I would watch with like 2x speed all of their VODs of them playing the deck watch the games play out, examine them. If I disagreed with something, pause and think about what they were thinking, listen to what they say. Uh, you know, really get what you can out of out of the content you can. We also have the episode on playtesting, playing games in your head, and that might be helpful too, just envisioning the things that might come up uh, with the deck that you're considering getting into. What about you, Spencer? I was going to suggest listening to play playing games in your head. So I think that there is something key here. When you can't play games to learn a deck, how do you approach it? I want to know what your goal is. If you literally don't have the time to play games, do you feel like your skill level is at a point where you can achieve your goal without playing any games? If it is, that's awesome. For me, there are lots of times where my skill level is not there. I thought Murktide had a high skill variance going into it, or skill ceiling. And while the skill ceiling was lower, I thought my skill ceiling and understanding with the deck was actually higher than I expected. I know that is kind of confusing, but I would say that like there is a lot you can learn from watching streams, watching VODs. Honestly, I would probably watch deck techs and matchup guides before ever watching somebody play the deck. And the reason is because I think that if you are at the position where you think your skill is high enough, your intuition is probably better than learning sequencing from somebody else. And thus, that you should just learn what they think the matchup is about rather than watching the match. So it's a little bit disagreeing with my co-hosts, but I also would say that you should not play a game on zero, a deck on zero reps unless your skill is indicative of that. So you're saying I shouldn't have only played one league before Vegas. I would 100% say that. Um, I also think that you are talking crap on yourself there, and you should have better self, self-talk. Yeah, self-talk there, buddy. When I say watch a stream, I'm basically making you shortcut the play of the games in your head thing, right? Because instead of having to envision scenarios, you have the scenario. Uh, and then you, you don't have to actually keep watching. You can think about how things. I actually, uh, I actually disagree with what you're saying, because I think watching a deck guide or like a deck tech where they explain what they think the matchup is about, and then going to bed, and like I don't know about other people. Maybe this is just like a Spencer thing. But like if I watch a deck guide, and then I go to bed, I then just start playing games in my head in the matchups that were talked about. And I find that more valuable than watching a stream and then doing the same thing because I feel like my brain will go to the situations they were at in the stream rather than building their, their, my own while I'm in bed. So I, I guess my question is, what, what's, mine doesn't detract from yours, right? Like, like mine, mine is a thing it to does do for in me. addition to I'm your, not saying like, it does for other people. I'm saying for me. Sure. Okay. For me, because I can only answer this from my point of view, I would just default to... I actually have this problem when I stream, for what it's worth. Where, like, I'll replay the games in my head while I'm in bed. 
So like, but if I watch a deck guide, this actually happens a lot when I watch smash videos and I like watch a smash video before bed where I will think about the thing that they said was important in the matchup. Hope that was helpful. Andrew and you listeners as well. So always a way to support the show always be free. Uh, Spencer, what's the, what we got on the YouTube comments this week? Well, this was a thing that was said a few weeks ago. Explorers talk starts at, and then it says when, uh, we will have moving forward timestamps that tell you when specific segments start in the show notes so that you can just click right there. Honestly, I love these comments. I did this on somebody's magic video recently where they spent 20 minutes uh, and I watched the 20 minutes because I kept thinking it was going to start before they, they rendered their cards from Mana Traders, which you can use using code 62 and single. If you want to find the show and you elect all of this sort of stuff, you might want to check out the other shows on the network. We have Drafting Archetype with Sam Black. Uh, Streets of New Capena seems to be a very popular limited format. Sam Black goes over the different archetypes in that. Uh, and I haven't actually gotten to listen to the most recent episode, but I'm sure that Sam is going in deep into weird ways to draft the different families. No, he does Sam's not do that. He, do. he specifically he hasn't, gone, he hasn't gone deep no, yet. No, he specifically does the opposite because that's that format. Well, I, I am behind on the new Capena since he's actually played with the cards. I I, I haven't listened. I've only heard the, the pre-play Oh, stuff. man. Should I spoil it for... Mason Abe? No, I refuse. Yo, draft ban. Can you draft before you listen? Well, I, I've already drafted twice. I've, I've drafted a green-white X both times. You've got good. You, good job, Mason. You're it. great. You're yes. a great player. It's a format where the creature, the oh no, my deck's all creatures and combat tricks. What did I do wrong? Is actually the right thing. Oh, wait, wait, this is yours. That's, that's the kind of magic hey, I want to play. I don't want to take away from <laughs> Sam's podcast. I think it's great. You should draft ban colors. That's it. I can't wait to see how he breaks that paradigm. I think I think if there's anyone who's gonna have, I mean, it, he'll he'll be the one, right? He'll he'll be the one he'll that like one. And I'm really forces himself into it because of the way his show works. So I think it's good for this format. I agree with you. Abe. Clear the mind deck inbound that format's position. So stay tuned for drafting archetypes. Uh, you want to also check out Common Knowledge. It is a all popper all the time podcast. My sponsor, Man Traders, who we get the little silly plug to a second ago, is doing popper this month. It's a 15k. So you're gonna want to check out Common Knowledge because they're gonna be covering that format in depth. And with the new uh, Boulder's Gate Commander set coming out, uh oh, popper might break again. We had Abe's mind is breaking. Think about the last Commander Legends that went into popper. It's 30 days away. So get excited. <laughs> we have a new cards coming for that format exclusively. So I'm going to check out those guys over there. Abe, if someone wants to find you having a breakdown about the Popper metagame, where can they go? They can find me at the Baldur's Gate or at my Twitter, More Nothings, where you can find me, you know, doing stuff. DM me about coaching for Hammer. If you listen to this episode and decide it's the deck that you want to play, I do offer coaching and I do have a very good updated list on my on my Twitter that you can just yoink and start playing with. You find me at H. I also stream every week at twitch.tv hash or slash easy media. Also, you should definitely hit up April coaching. It is our most viewed video on YouTube in the last, you know, couple of years. Uh, I thought it did a great job and you should watch that video. If you don't believe me, watch that video. Somebody asked us though, Abe, what we were playing on, like how we were playing magic like that uh, in the YouTube comments this week. I want to know how you feel about that question. It really offsets the time <laughs> that I was told by a friend of mine that they liked watching Magic Online more than they liked watching Arena. It literally, it literally it a YouTube question was, how are they playing Magic right now?
If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark underscore. That's the actual underscore. And also, if you're a Twitter representative listening, please, for the love of God, reach out to me in DMs. And also, don't notice that I broke your term of service by making a new Twitter account. Anyways, you can do that. You can find me each and every week at Card Kingdom as well. I'm all about stuff. This week, I'm actually adapting an article that was a Discord exclusive um, before. And I'm going to have a new version of it kind of uh, be put up on Card Kingdom, all about mana bases. Uh, and is the splash worth it? So if you've been interested in that um, and you haven't been a patron, you should become a patron so you can do it now in the more lengthy version. But you will get the abridged version on Card Kingdom very, very soon. And that will do it for the 408th episode of Constructed Chrism. We'll see you all next week for another episode of CCMTG.